And again, it was just called to really go to her and sit with her and just thank her. And then we were just the two of us and she had gone down to four stone. She was pretty much in and out of coma uh, consciousness. And I just had a sense that she didn't want to go. She didn't want to be left. She didn't want, to, she was afraid of what was to come. She yeah. was afraid of passing over. And in sitting with her, I was just called to really thank her for her life, to thank her for everything she had done, because without her, I wouldn't have my daughter. And for all the, the lives that, 10 lives that she had reared and the harshness of it and you know, just really honoured her for who she was as a soul. Mm, and she beautiful. opened her eyes and reached out her hand to hold my hand in that moment. Oh. Hello and welcome. My name is Liz Gleason, and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from ordinary people on their experience of loss, how their grief impacted them, and what helped them to find their feet again. Loss can really have such a profound effect on our lives and it is my hope that Shapes of Grief will provide comfort, hope and inspiration to our listeners so that together we can get more comfortable talking about grief. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener-supported podcast, so please do donate, like, share and review. It really does keep us going. For more grief resources and grief support, find and follow us on all the usual social media channels and on shapesofgrief.com. So welcome to Shapes of Grief, Mm. Tracy O'Connor. Thanks, Liz. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for asking me along. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, Really looking forward to hearing what you have to say today about your experience of grief and loss. Hmm. You've quite a different perspective on this subject. And I think you've a lot to share with our listeners. So delighted you're here, Tracy. Will you start by giving us a little bit of information on your background? Introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. So I'm uh, Tracy O'Connor. I was ordained as a One Spirit Interfaith Minister back in 2017. And that means uh, that I honour all religions and none. What brought me to that stage was a long journey of self-discovery. And that in itself was a journey of self-discovery. Going back to my beginnings where I started after school, I went to Paris um, as an au pair. Um, that was, I suppose, my first sense of freedom where it could have been, uh, you know, as the topic is grief. It was probably grief for my family in that I was leaving, that I was fleeing the nest. Maybe they weren't so grieving. <laughs> Maybe they were very happy I left. <laughs> <laughs> Who, knows? <laughs> Who knows? We'll have your mother on next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I spent eight months being an au pair and then I was called to just stay um, I started in uh, in an advertising agency in Paris. I was there um, basically for eight years, ended up being eight years in a European headquarters then of this American ad agency where I was connecting the dots between different agencies around the world, um, etc. Came back to Ireland when my dad died. Okay. And it, he died in the, in April, I came back in the October. And what was that like for you to be abroad? Well, yeah. Had he been sick? He had a kidney transplant when he, uh, about five years, six years earlier, but he hadn't wanted to change his lifestyle. You know, you're on right. anti-rejection tablets and you have to change your, you know, the way you're eating and everything like that. But he was just, he, he enjoyed the good life too much, you know. And so it was a process of after Paris, I moved to London and London was easier access to be going back and forth. He was in the hospital for 11, 11 weeks before he passed. And so I was flying back and over, you know, a lot to see him. Mm. Um, I feel now that I have a stronger relationship with him in his passing than, than before I left, because I left Ireland when I was 17. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking to find my own freedom 
away from the family unit, you know. You still had a father-child relationship at that stage. Yeah. So tell tell us a little bit more about that. You feel mm -hmm. your relationship is stronger Mm -hmm. in his death than in his life. I feel that there's um, more of a a truth to uh, communication. So having a sense of his presence a lot of the time if I'm doubting myself or you know having a sense of he loved swimming in the sea and I've really connected with the sea this year like and swimming in throughout the winter which would totally be him and I have a you know a sense of yeah you're, you're keep going you're doing wow. me proud kind of thing so you know? almost a relationship of him within you yeah exactly you're, you're embodying parts of him exactly um yeah. that you recognize as being parts of him. And funny, after one significant um, communication that I really felt with him was when I was pregnant um, a few years after he had died. And I, um, I was in France in the water. I was swimming and big belly, you know, <laughs> floating, <laughs> floating around in the sea. And there was two elderly couples in the water and they said to me, oh, my God, you're such a beautiful swimmer. You're obviously going to have a water birth. And this was in French. Uh, I said, well, uh, no, I'm Irish and that's not really the done thing in Ireland. And they were elderly. There was one, there there was a man in particular who was really insistent on me looking into it. You should really look into it when you go home. Like, and and I really felt like my dad was speaking through this man. Wow. And especially being in the water and everything. And that this elderly stranger would actually care how you're going to I birth. know exactly. what a beautiful thing exactly yeah he was very insistent it was very odd this was back in 2003 and so when I came home this was in July and I came home and I started researching what would happen you know what what has to happen and it was very difficult there was only like six midwives at the time in Leinster um, all fully booked up etc etc long story short it all fell into place it was meant to happen and I had a water birth, but it was a real sense of my dad um, and his presence really pushing me to find out about it. Just yeah. keep going, you know, and that presence. And would that have been him in life, Tracy? Was that oh, he wouldn't have gone. He would have been like, don't be telling me the details. I don't want to know, you know, <laughs> in, yeah. in life, he wouldn't have even uh, looked at or considered yeah. the option of a water birth. You have to go to the hospital or he wouldn't want to know any of those women details at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was very but masculine. Yes, you, the, it very much you felt that this was him yeah. communicating to you. Yeah, in truth. And that's yeah. what I felt the difference was in the communication between when he was alive and yeah. and in spirit that there was a certain truth coming through the communication of him mm. whereas before maybe in his own uh, grief or his own life um, circumstances that he felt you know he wasn't able to fully speak his truth maybe you know um, I don't mm. really know um, but I believe that inside us all there is a true essence of purity of harmony of you know joy love peace all those qualities we strive for and when we're born you know through conditioning and whatever life circumstances that we have that we take on conditioning or you know we protect ourselves with um, walls of you know whatever it is that we go through our ego structure gets harder and bigger and exactly yeah more difficult to shed as time goes on yeah Exactly. And we forget Mm. our true essence. So we forget how to be open and honest and heart centered with each other, you know. Um, So you you gave birth to a a daughter in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was that was an amazing experience in itself to Mm. have that freedom, the midwife coming. And it was just a sense of that's how she wanted to be brought into the world with ease and um, you know, um, I just, it's beyond words, nearly <laughs> the experience. Mm. It was just so natural and I won't say easy yeah. <laughs> because nobody in their right mind will tell you that childbirth is easy. Mm. But that in itself, there was a moment in giving birth where I just felt myself going completely inside myself that there was no, there was nobody else existed yeah. <laughs> in, in this space. Yeah. 
Um, I remember that, that primal, moment too. Primal, oh, yeah. You just can't describe it, really. Uh, you really meet yourself, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Th this is me, and only me can do this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's exactly what it and is. And it's like you, you almost grab your own back. <laughs> yeah. And go, I've got you. Okay, let's yeah, go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everyone else pales into insignificance. Yeah. And even yeah. though um, my daughter's dad was in the pool in the birthing pool with me have literally having my back as you say he just disappeared yeah. out of my existence out of my yeah. frame of well <laughs> yeah so that's it's an interesting one to remember in terms of because often people they want to forget childbirth because of the experience especially with so many giving birth in hospitals and i just <coughs> did my research beforehand was reading up on books on what's the mm. knowledge you know African women go out into the bush and they just squat and and that just seems like gravity it's more you know um conducive to actually giving birth as opposed to lying back and um anyway it is what it is and some people have to go into hospital you know for circumstances and so yeah. on but and yeah. that that was just that was my experience it's more part of our conditioning as well isn't it like our societal yeah. conditioning and what we've made of these events Profound loss can rock our inner world. It's confusing, life-altering, and often scary. You've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief. But are there other models, theories, tools, or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process? To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief-trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now, let's get you back to the podcast. Yeah. But Tracy, I'm interested, you know, you mentioned you're an interfaith minister. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just listening to you, you know, you've obviously, you've got a huge spiritual element. Um, not element, you are a hugely <laughs> spiritual person. What brought you there? You know, I, I, I came across a quote recently and it was, when I meet someone who's really grounded and you know, amazing and doing beautiful work in the world. I think what darkness brought you there, mm. because for many of us, when we are sort of becoming ourselves, it's because we've had that universal kick in the ass. Yeah. Something difficult has happened mm -hmm. that makes us need to go through that mm -hmm. dark night of the soul, if you like, in order to go, okay, well, mm -hmm. this is what matters to me. Yeah. Would you tell us about your journey to becoming an interfaith minister? Well. Um, sure. So uh, when I came back to Ireland, I was working in advertising <clears throat> when I came back from Paris and London. And for me, that was my world. I was in advertising and this is my career and I'm made, you know. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> then I, I met my daughter's dad. And at the same time that I met him, I decided to leave work. I decided to leave the corporate space and go into project management and it was my 30th birthday all at the same time. Uh, so that was a, the start of my letting go of my security of who I thought I was in the world. Um, this was my career path. So I, I thought, yeah, all gung-ho, I have everything I need to do that. In between times, I had started a counselling course, um, a distance learning counselling and um, psychology course for my own uh, process because I was in a corporate space that was pulling there was something pulling at me going you're not this is not what you're meant to be doing and I'm fighting against it and I'm going of course it is so I was tearing myself apart yeah in in resisting my calling and my path it's almost like the ego is driving you in one direction yeah. and the soul is screeching and pulling at you in another direction yeah. And actually, interesting yeah. enough, what happened was I fell off a horse. A horse actually fell on top of me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> so this guy had bought our family home and he had uh, he had horses with it. And I met him at a party and he asked me if I'd l like to come and ride this horse that he had that nobody was riding. And I'm like, yeah, of course, because I grew up riding. Um, mm. And it was something that I really missed when I left Ireland. And so I was back in my family home for the first time since I had left um, Ireland. My, my mum and dad had moved since then and sold the house. And 
the, for, the, the horse was very green and really distrusting. Like, actually, the kids were coming out to help me catch the horse in the field. And they were coming out with yard brushes going, come here, come here. Guys. I'm like, um, I, I think I'll do this on my own, you know, and just kind of connect with the horse. Anyway, the fourth day, I was riding him and I was um, just trotting him in a circle and I didn't realise how inflexible he was and he tripped over himself and fell on top of me and basically broke my shoulder and wow. twisted my knee and my ankle on my left side and my, my big toe. It wasn't hugely uh, disastrous, it was really painful but it meant that I had to take a work out of, uh, a month out of work to um, rehabilitate myself. So that for me was falling off my high horse. <laughs> it was knocking the ego out. It was all the left side, which for me represents the feminine, to come into more connection with um, my spirituality. Somebody had given me a copy of, or I found it on a, on a bookshelf, Conversations with God. Oh, yeah. Uh, not Conversations with God, sorry. The Celestine Prophecy. Oh, yes. I and I just couldn't get enough. So the Celestine Prophecy is a, is a journey, is a, um, an exploration of one guy's journey of following synchronicities in his life. And James Redford, is James it? James Redfield. Yeah. Redfield. And so it was an eye-opener for me. That's, I suppose, where it started uh, consciously yeah. for me, connecting with something else you know that yeah. it's not just all cut into stone that there is possibilities outside of our realms and what's lovely about this is it's usually a book isn't it it's usually a book. You know? <laughs> it's it's so important because i think part of us inside knows we're not okay mm -hmm. we're not where we should be going but we're not quite sure what is the right path and maybe to hear a podcast or to read a book yeah. kind of tells us, okay, this is my language. This is calling me. This is where I need to go. It's resonating. You know, I remember when I was 17 being in Hodges Figgis, the bookshop, I opened up The Road Less Travelled by Scott Peck. And I think the first line of that book is, life is hard. And I remember just going, thank God someone else feels that too. Right. And yeah. I immediately bought the book and that was the beginning of my yes. little journey of just, little. you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly, of just realizing that what we were watching on TV or living in our daily lives was just the surface. Yeah. And that there was so much more. But it's yeah. lovely that you say that book did it for you. Absolutely. And then I couldn't get enough. I had to buy the next one and the next one, the 10th yeah. Insight and the, and the 11th and 12th. And, and, and that was just... I just opened my world then to allowing synchronicities to speak to me, to allow nature to speak to me. Yes. Um, I was in a relationship at, at the time and knew it wasn't what it was meant to be. And I felt myself just becoming really centered and trusting and asking for signs. And I found myself sitting under a tree, having this conversation about where we were going. and. I was talking from the head and next thing um, a branch fell off the tree over my head and fell right in between my legs as I was sitting cross-legged and it was like oh it was so obvious and in my face I'm like okay I need to change the I need to change the the focus of the conversation I need to be more grounded and down to earth in the conversation so it's been able to follow those signs that are everywhere that mm. allow us to unfold so, so did that branch falling mean that you ended that relationship? Um, not yet. In a different way, we, we, we went and, and said we'd, we'd try again. Uh, yeah, long story, but basically okay. it was the start at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I met my, my daughter's dad. That was another process of, so the beginning of the dark night unfolding. So we were together nine months. I consciously came off contraception because I just had a real strong calling that I need to, this is it, like, got pregnant, nine months pregnant, and then we split up after nine months. So right. it was a really intense process of sitting with his grief in himself and his background and knowing that I couldn't handle the trauma that he was living through. Um, that for 
the, for my daughter's sake, for our daughter's sake, that we had to separate because it was just too intense in terms of, yeah, unspoken pain. It was coming out and being expressed in in different ways and being projected that wasn't helpful <laughs> or nice to live with. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so your daughter was just a newborn when you separated yeah, nine months old yeah yeah so that what was that like for you i imagine you talked about his grief mm. but i imagine there you are with a newborn baby was the last with thing? the person you thought you were going to be with yeah and how was that for you um again it was people around me who's who because we had we had run a project together um which was which was also part of the process. We'd run a project that we'd won a social entrepreneurs award for in going into schools, um, teaching uh, cultural awareness through clowning. And I had Rosie who was breastfeeding, I was doing the presentation, the driving, I was doing everything and he was arriving on the stage and, and doing the show. And I was just in so much awe of, you know, the energy and the, the amazing um, outcome from this whole event and uh, project that we did uh, so in awe of what he was doing but I didn't see myself and didn't see what I was doing and it was a few people that pointed out to me this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for you I didn't see myself in the relationship yeah. and it was started then when I started to see who I was underneath it all and what I was bringing and not you know I was hiding behind somebody um, that um I don't know what I was hiding behind. Um, a sense of having to having to respond to circumstances in order to please, maybe. Mm. Um, but certainly lacking that self-realization. Yeah. It was empowering someone else to find theirs. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so from clowning yeah. to interfaith minister, yeah. what was that journey like? What took you there? Well, I mean, that was a journey of... 12 years in in mm. a sense uh yeah last 10 10 11 years um i found again friends around me um one particular friend who really was my mentor of the dark was a, a period of five or six years of being immersed in a reality that was completely different um she had a lot of Eastern teachings, a very high spiritual awareness. Um, and we started a business together and it was really an exercise in how not to run a business. Okay. <laughs> um, so apart from the, the, the grief of losing the, you know, the relationship and everything, it was just a, an ongoing process of letting go of things. Mm. And so her teaching to me was the, the, the art of non-attachment mm. in your face really going through nearly 24 hours, seven days a week for five or six years. And was this a literal teaching yeah. or just by experience? Well, both. Yeah, yeah. experiential oh, learning. Oh, yeah, very much yeah. living it. Um, yeah. Having to move house, not having, to have, not having the money, having to know what it is to exist um, with nothing um, while raising a child. Um, but going down that path of near delusion as well mm. because I was following her path again not my own okay but discovering my own within that and it was towards the end uh, it was around 2010 when I I suddenly realized again I'd gone to somebody for advice and and it was my dad who came through again and it was a tarot card reader and she said I have to tell you something just don't shoot the messenger <laughs> right and she said there's some there's somebody around you um first of all she said there's somebody around you and they're not what you think they are and that was a real wake-up call for me because i held this person on such a high pedestal and she was painting a picture that they're actually very you know it's a very dark energy that you're around and that got me thinking and then she said um so your dad uh, wants me to tell you something and again don't shoot the messenger but if he was here he said I'd give her a foot in the arse <laughs> and that's exactly what he would have said how would she know you know um, and so that was that was a real wake-up call for me as well hmm. this is time to it's really time to step out of this now and to do your own thing and to just I had disconnected from my own intuition from my own hmm. confidence I was like really 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 low 
And that's understandable. Like I just have this image of you there, a young woman with a baby. The relationship has gone pear-shaped. You're on your own. You yeah. talked about needing to move home. You talked about not having money. Like we're so vulnerable. We're so mm. vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. When we become mothers, mm. we take on this incredible vulnerability with it. Yeah. And we are so reliant on people around us. Yeah. Um, and I don't think a lot of people really understand that or appreciate that, particularly as a single mother. True. You know, because you are giving everything to this little one mm. and then also needing to provide. And, you know, you talked about those energies earlier, the male energy and the female energy. Mm. You've to have them both, both in large amounts. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I really understand that need to find someone who you think is going to yeah. be your savior or help you yeah. through or true. have the answers. Yeah, that's true. And I think we all have our gurus at some stage. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So and then it was seeing the seeing the seeing seeing her for who she was. Um, but and so I decided, right, um, time to time to cut those cords. And mm -hmm. and that wasn't an easy process. It was during the snow. Was there, you know, you talked about this person being very spiritual or very learned mm -hmm. and Eastern mm -hmm. teachings. Was there an element of spiritual bypassing going Completely. on then? Completely, yeah. which okay. I didn't see. So and getting lost in that and unavailable for the normal day to day. Um, it was, yeah, it was healthy really human interactions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was very secretive. Um, but in in saying that, it's exactly what I needed to go through to be where I am now, because I can now see exactly spiritual bypassing very quickly, okay. very easy. And for myself as well, that yeah. was part of something with the interfaith course. And I do, you are a spiritual person, Tracy, like I, I see that yeah. in you and feel that in you. How is it for you when you are around other people where mm. everything is love and light, peace and joy, I'm a high vibration on the path, um, you know. I'm like, what work haven't you done? <laughs> yeah. You're not connecting to the planet, to the, se to the self, to the, to, you're not being grounded. It's mm. not all love and light. That's, you know, mm. it's, it's bullshit. We can't have love and light without the darkness because one can't exist without the other. Yeah. And it's the balance of those two. So fast forward. I think Jung says that. He says, um, I must have a dark side if I am to be whole. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. But it's recognizing it. It's when we don't see the dark side, then we're in trouble. Yeah. Because then it rules our life. When we're standing with our back to it. Yeah. And only looking in one direction. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I was seeing then from a distant perspective with mm. the woman that was guiding me was that she wasn't seeing the whole the whole picture um that's another story but it led me to disconnect then and then i was really on my own and it was time for me to step up in the world find a job did my linkedin profile as i said i was so um so low in myself esteem yeah. I decided to ask for recommendations on LinkedIn from who I'd work with in Paris and London, for example, and, and anybody else when I came back to Ireland. And so were you turning towards the corporate world again yeah. at this point? LinkedIn yeah. isn't really yeah. the yeah, hub exactly. of spiritual practice. I just thought, well, I need money. <laughs> yeah. I, I need a yeah. job. Yeah. And so it sounds like you were really grounding own. yourself again then. And yeah, being yeah. real. Yeah. Um, because I really needed to start being real again. Yeah. And uh, it was when people sent me the LinkedIn reviews that are re recommendations that I thought they're talking about me. And it was it was a really interesting process. Mm. You know, when you're in that real dark space to ask for somebody yeah. to remember what you've done for them in their life. And what came back was uh, just like glowing recommendations. Mm. And it really gave me a spark of, oh, wow. It reminded me of who I was, yeah. you know, when I was. So I think we lose part of who we are when we have yeah. a child oh you know totally. our, our self-esteem yeah you know my mind anyway drained out through my feet and mm -hmm. um yeah. you know we can become quite anxious about our value in the world mm. but we come great at bathing babies and changing nappies and staying up for six hours at night yeah but it's not glorified we, yeah and it's not it's not respected it's, it's not, not respected but that again that vulnerability mm. of coming out of that space and trying to find your place in in the world again yeah I really get yeah. that yeah yeah so that grounding was going from 
high, you know, highly spiritual existence in the, you know, going with synchronicities and flow and just not really existing in the everyday world. Yeah. Um, to getting a job being headhunted on LinkedIn after I'd put up my profile for a sales company. Like <laughs> to go from no confidence yes. to having to really step into, you know, doing yeah. doing sales. And um, that was that was an amazing experience. So that all kind of led me down the path to a few years being in the world of sales and marketing again. Um, After the ecstasy, the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> like Jack Cornfield. Yeah. Yeah. Say a bit more about that. Well, Jack Cornfield, oh, yeah. one of my favorite books is mm-hmm. um, After the Ecstasy, the Laundry okay. by this a Buddhist teacher Jack Cornfield and it's like what Jung says you know um, I too must have a dark side if I'm to be whole yeah we can't just live our lives in ecstasy and bliss and joy yeah you know we have to have the laundry as well yeah, we have to you be know able to pay we have bills. to be able to just roll up the sleeves and go through our human experience not just a spiritual experience yeah it's about I guess you know weaving them together in the fabric of our lives yeah. rather than just being a spiritual being or a yeah. human being, yeah, exactly. integrating them. Yeah, exactly. So here's you right. after a few years of, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, spiritual bypassing is what you're saying yeah. to, okay, right, I have two mads to feed here mm-hmm. and jumping. I mean, I really salute your courage of being able to go from one extreme to the other. It was just m- messages along the way that were really strong and really resonated to us. This is, yeah. There's no doubt about this. This has to happen. Yeah. Um, at any particular moment in time. Um, so how long did you stay there and and where was the jump to interfaith minister? It was a gradual process. Okay. So while I was working in sales, I was uh, training as uh, uh, in shamanism. So that was a real kind of connection to um, spirituality, but in a really grounded way, connected to the earth, connected to the cycles of nature and understanding our connection with those cycles and for me that's where i am right now is that that's spirituality it's returning to our true nature reflected in the nature we we find outside ourselves and so there was shamanism there was uh, i started uh, learning how to facilitate women's circles and i started facilitating those while i was still doing the sales job so it was like a gradual process of coming Mm. in and then to earlier that year um this um spiritual teacher that I had passed away this woman you spoke about okay it's a it's a it's another longer story but she had passed away and it was the Saturday that I learned about it on the Monday I went down to her mother and her sister um and understood straight away that I I had to be involved in organizing the funeral because they had no idea who she was they had no idea who she really was or her contacts or what she loved and they they were lost they were lost in a sense of they were grieving as well and I was just called to step in to help them organize the funeral and um, in that process I had already made contact with the interface through a friend of mine who was already ordained and said this is something I was looking for something more something more in spirituality and he'd recommend looking at the course and on the Saturday she died the Monday was with the meeting with the sister and the mother and straight after that I had my sort of interview with the the head of the faculty of the interfaith to see if I was a, a, a likely candidate and I had just been thrown into this process of mm organizing this funeral and um, so that was kind of the start of the journey and I started the course then in the uh, a couple of months later but there was a sense of uh, also my um, my daughter's dad her his mom had passed away uh, a couple of months previous to that as well and again I was just called to really go to her and sit with her and just thank her then we were just the two of us and she had gone down to four stone she was pretty much in and out of coma uh, consciousness and i just had a sense that she didn't want to go she didn't want to be left she didn't want she was afraid of what was to come she was afraid of passing over and in sitting with her i was just called to really thank her for her life to thank her for everything she had done because without her i wouldn't have my daughter and for all the, the lives that 10 lives that she had reared and the harshness of it and 
you know, just really honored her for who she was as a soul. Mm, and beautiful. she opened her eyes and reached out her hand to hold my hand in that moment. Oh, it was just absolutely heart wrenching. Mm. <laughs> but it was so it was so beautiful to be able to hold her in that. And um, it just felt like she was given so much peace in that moment really sounds like that yeah. and she was able to pass away then two days later yeah it was like oh my god i this is just calling me so much to you had that wisdom to help her and yeah. <laughs> tell her what what any of us need to hear you've done a good job yeah exactly. you know you've been your life has mm. been meaningful your yeah. life has spread purpose <laughs> oh. beautiful i can't yeah, yeah i can never really talk about it without it bringing up so much love you know um mm. for the process and so simple tracy yeah. yet so many people can't do that yeah you know yeah so simple to just mm. have the courage to sit and witness this person yeah oh uh, it was such an honor and honor them an honor, honor to to you know what a life she had mm. been through um, so that was that was also a, a, a kind of a, a stepping into the work that yeah. I'm here to do and to really honor somebody's true essence and their soul and to help them express that in life or in death. Um, yeah. Previously, I'd had a dream about holding somebody's hand going through death as yeah. if I was lucid dreaming and conscious that I was dreaming and holding somebody's hand as they were passing over being with them and then letting them go and telling them it was okay <laughs> and then i and then mm. i came back into my own body so there was that real sense so that's the power of my connection with the interfaith um seminary and what i was called to do and um when i started the the course in october my daughter had a trauma in november uh, she nearly died she nearly drowned she fell in the river and it was such a traumatic, hugely traumatic experience that it it stopped me in my tracks of doing the sales job. I wasn't able to. I wasn't yeah. able to be a salesperson. It was like against my nature. It was it, I had to be there for her and yeah. she was going through such a process as well. So couldn't afford the house we were living in, moved back home to my mum's that I hadn't lived with since I moved to Paris. Um, wow, age 17. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that it was a two year journey of immersing myself in this uncovering of more spiritual bypassing. And I, I had done a lot of work on myself until I started doing that course, you know, uh, up until that point. Yeah. And it was such a deeper immersion in the truth of uncovering more layers you know, in such a deep holding, but we can't do these things on our own. We have to be held yeah. by others. And um, we are veritable onions, aren't we? Oh my, those onions bring the tears <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, don't they? Um. And Tracy, when we were chatting earlier and I said to you, you know, what is your, what's the biggest loss that you can think of? And mm. you said, the loss of my identity. Yeah. Of who yeah. I thought I was going to, who I thought I was, yeah. who I thought I was going to be. Would you speak a little about that? Mm. Well, I suppose coming back on the journey of who I thought I was, I was conditioned by the family that I was brought up with um, and taking on their beliefs. Um, and because there was six years between me and the next, there was always a bit of a gap between me and my five siblings. So I was always, I had seven parents growing up, not two. And I was all, you know, you should be doing this, you should be that. And, and anything that I tried to do in, you know, in my own terms was always now, you know, um, put down. So I suppose I brought all of these walls around me of who I thought I was meant to be in order to receive the unconditional love that we are born into wanting to receive and so it was a process of as you say unpeeling the onion and unpacking the layers of the conditioning who I wasn't yeah. um coming to that identity of oh I've got a you know an advertising job sales great that that'll that'll please everyone yeah. it is something communications is something I'm really interested in but I was you know I thought it was this process because um, if you think about it, that's how we grow up. It's like, yeah. what are you going to be when you grow up? Yeah. I'm going to be this, then yeah. I'm going to do this, I'm going to have this. It's we build this huge persona. Yeah. And then 
at some point it gets too painful because mm -hmm. we're not really being who we are. Yeah. And, and we exactly. have to deconstruct that persona that we've built. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like your journey is, is a beautiful illustration of <laughs> that. Yeah, I suppose it is. You know. um, and so the, the biggest point of the grief is the was the letting go of that, of that persona yeah. in many different, and there was a lot of layers, <laughs> a lot of layers. And, and it takes such courage to simply just be in mm -hmm. our own true nature. Yeah. So many of us need, and you know, bereavement therapist, completely. interfaith minister or the yeah. label like we, we yeah. need labels and yeah. places to belong and yeah. what that means. Yeah. But the courage to just sit back and be. Yeah. And I'm not sure I'm not there yet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I Ditto. know. I don't yeah. know if I'll ever be. But it I matters to us what other people think. It does. You yeah. know, much as we try for it not to. And yeah. You know, we are human. Yeah. We are human yeah, yeah. and to greater or lesser degrees. Exactly. It matters where we find mm -hmm. ourselves in the world. Yeah. And part of that process as well that really helped me was um, where I met you uh, all those years ago at Earthsong and coming into the sense of the drumming, the tribal spirit, that yeah. connection with our true, you know, the harmony within us, the, the sound, the heart connection of being in a circle with people and just that lovely holding of existing outside the nine to five, outside the concrete, outside the boxes that yeah. we're on a field and we're sharing and we're living in nature. It's funny you say that because my my strongest memory of you, obviously our kids had met playing on the field and I remember going into the talent show one night and sitting down and you were beside me and you just had such a warmth about you and I remember you said, hey, you want some hot chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> and handed me your mug. Really? <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know her and she's like offering <laughs> to share her mug with me, <laughs> you know. And it was just this moment of, you know, for me, wh wherever I was at at the time, People are really warm and loving when we let them be. Yeah. I remember you as just this warm, loving mm. woman sharing wow. her hot chocolate with wow. me in the grass. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. That's, I the suppose, it, it, was, it, was, it was underneath it all, yeah. Um, yeah. It's always been there. But it was the unpacking of the layers that allowed it to come out even more. Yeah. And uh, the drumming, the heart song, uh, just that sense of immersion into what life is really meant to be like when yeah. people really connect from the heart yeah. and support each other and just to say to anyone listening briefly what earth song is mm -hmm. it's um a camp in the south of ireland that happens every year um there's two camps each are 10 days long and it's an alcohol free zone a drug free zone there is no electricity so nobody's on screens um, we're all cooking over open fires and the transformation that happens there is really incredible because yeah. we're not zipping around in our cars or running from one meeting to the next. We're being held by the earth mm. um, together for 10 days and it is literally a, a process that happens where people just sink into themselves mm -hmm. with all the joy and all the pain that comes with that and that the kids are allowed to roam free as kids they roam wish, free yeah. which is such an eye-opener that was something yeah. i really struggled with the first time i was there and it was lashing rain and <laughs> there was no they only have a certain amount of clothes right for, yes. for the 10 days yeah. so um my daughter is like running around and she's splashing in the mud and she's rolling around and she's having a great time and i'm like don't do that you have to keep the clothes and and i remember uh one of our friends came along and said tracy it doesn't matter yeah <laughs> just let yeah. her do it and i'm like what <laughs> yeah the kids go out they get muddy <laughs> they barely brush their teeth for a week yeah. their hair comes back with nests yeah. in it i have a beautiful photo of one i think it was oshin oshin's feet just caked in mud um yeah. you know when we got yeah, back yeah. here like the the earth was ingrained in his body like yeah. despite three bats it was mm. still there under the nails <laughs> in the cracks of his skin and um, with broken toenails <laughs> 
and it's just so beautiful yeah so beautiful it's so great and yeah. not care yeah and to to know and to see them in their in their nourishment yeah. their connection with nature because they know the kids know what's real you know and and how to be joyful and play they don't need much they don't need the material stuff they just need to be and they need each other i think that's really key for earth song is yeah. Um, the connections we have there because we're, mm -hmm. we're in community for 10 days yeah and I know one of my layers that I unpeeled was um, years ago I thought I love being solitary I would love to just live on my own in the middle of the country and but actually mm. I'm such a social being mm. I love other people's company I love connection yeah and I've come to realize through my bereavement work that connection is vital huge because when we're vulnerable when we're grieving we do tend to retreat it's like we go into hibernation we're so fragile we're like a lobster without a shell mm. and we we tend to protect but actually if we can just reach out to the right people yeah. and uh, or accept the hands that are reaching into us mm -hmm. that's where so much healing can happen Absolutely. is in connection with other humans yeah. but we've become afraid to connect because yeah. of i suppose the isolation that we're brought up to embrace live in a box live in your house live in your car go to your job yeah um and there's this fear that's promoted around dysfunctional security. independence as my friend says right you know i we've got to get on with it do it yourselves it's yeah your responsibility yeah there's yeah. a balance we need each other we're social beings and the media they just propagate fear all the time. There's all negative, negative, negative in yeah. stories. There's no yeah. positive. So we have no reason to believe that it's safe to connect with anybody. Yeah. Because yeah. we have this fear of our lives yeah. being threatened all the time. And the world isn't like that. You know, the media really have a lot to answer to yeah. for portraying one side of the story all the time the dark side it's time to really you know find that balance yeah and there's a lot of community initiatives that are happening that are really bringing people together and i notice as i hold my circles or i hold meditation classes people don't know each other and i give them permission to know each other i give them permission to just be and just to connect and in that space there wow that was amazing like we don't know each other but I'm, we know each other you know and yeah. they're starting to help each other and there's more and more initiatives there's more and more circles being yeah. formed and even in the corporate space as well people are starting to want to find the meaning and the connection um even in the structures um because I, I um, corporate wellness is one of the other things that I do and going into the corporate space, um, bringing well-being into the individuals, into the employees. There's also a sense of you, you can you can bring well-being to a person, but if you don't bring well-being to the environment that they exist within, then it's pointless. Know, yeah, it has to all change. So I think and it's so lovely that you've integrated those two worlds, Tracy. Yeah. You know, you <laughs> spent a lot of your life jumping from one to the other, the corporate world, the spiritual world, the corporate yeah. world, the spiritual world. Yeah. And yeah. now you're bringing your spiritual world into your corporate world. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like you needed to go through what you've been yeah. through. Yeah. To get to where you are now. Uh, big time. And there's a sense of if you're going to change something or if you're going to bring change uh, and you're a bridge, you can't just stand on the bridge. You have to exist in both sides to know exactly where everybody's at you know and on both sides of the fence you mentioned earlier on about all love and light and I feel that a lot of the um, spiritual community ha haven't really embraced the groundedness as we were touching on earlier mm -hmm. on um, of the reality of things and I think it's probably because it's so painful for a lot of people to to go back and uncover yeah. the layers the deep layers within of of trauma that have existed either in this life or the past or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but there's a sense that there's no there's, there's no need to fear anymore. There's a sense that there's a new energy. There's a new sort of consciousness coming in t of change to the planet that's allowing us to shine forth, to stand up, to speak out, just to be. B now is the time for us to reconnect, to collaborate, you know, yeah. rather than be in competition that we can work together and to support each other, to lift each other up yeah. in a sense. And we really see that like um, 
you know, the worst possible happened in the States a couple of years ago when it came to power. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the beauty of the women's marches and the Me Too movement and, you know, what I feel about when the darkness rises, if you like to put mm-hmm. it that way, what it's done for me is it's awakened my activist, you know. Mm-hmm. In the past, I would have said, well, let's leave the world to the eco-warriors and let's leave feminism or, you know, women's issues to the feminists. Whereas I really feel now that we're so touched by what's happening around us that our own personal responsibility, well, for me anyway, is really awakened. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's awakened the voice of the regular people who were half asleep. Yeah. So it's and it's not leaving it to somebody else. Yeah, it's taking responsibility Absolutely. for our own place in the yeah. world, and, and it's shining. It's really highlighting what this way of thinking does, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I really feel that, he, um, as you call it, was brought <laughs> to light for a reason, literally, um, yeah. to to show what can go really wrong in a system. Yeah, and to allow the the seeds of the good ideas that are forming it everywhere yeah. around the world in small pockets yeah. to allow those to be seen and to make sense now because I think if it had continued the same old same old way there'd be no impetus for change whereas now it's like doesn't there's, there's absolutely it has no to. doubt yeah <laughs> it has to and change. I think we're all on a spectrum like everybody has certain elements of that persona to them mm-hmm. you know even if it's the people making silly um, PC jokes, if you like, you know, yeah. or anti-PC jokes or people who are saying, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. It's like before I, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at that. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means we're laughing at the idea of being respectful to other people who mm-hmm. are less privileged or who are minority groups or, you know, I don't know if I can articulate this properly at all, but I think what it's done for me is it's yeah, highlighted that we're all on that spectrum of ignorance, if you mm-hmm. like, and we have to show up and be accountable. And I think once you're an activist for one cause, you become an activist for everybody. Mm. And, you know, it's like this dial of people who maybe were not quite where it is at down yeah. there, but it's like calling people to wake up and balance it out and yeah. you move towards goodness and yeah. diversity and recognizing our common humanity and recognizing the crisis that we've mm-hmm. we've caused on the planet yeah. and what am I going to do about it yeah mm-hmm. and rather than looking at yeah what am I going to do about um helping the world evolve what am I going to do about it in myself yes so looking at what aspects of something that doesn't resonate with your version or your picture of how it should be what is it something in you first? I think that's really key um, to the activism part is rather than going out and fixing something, we've got to fix ourselves first. Absolutely. And when we're clear and when we've peeled away the layers of the onion um, and to find that flame of real of truth, of of harmony and balance. Yeah. Um, that we can then see the solutions and we can help others to ignite their so flame. So where do we start, Tracy? Someone's listening, they're like, oh my God, you know, I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I'm kind of happy. I'm kind of not. Where do I begin? Mm-hmm. Where do I begin to listen to myself, mm-hmm. listen to what's important mm-hmm. for me and take action? What would you <sighs> say? What words of wisdom? Wow. Well, it really depends on where anybody is at in their own particular journey. But I really think it comes back to presence and back to the senses. So meditation, mindfulness is good for that. To be able to come to a a still point within yourself, to be able to sit with yourself and be happy with that. To not have to try and run about and do things and to it escape sounds yourself. so easy. Oh, doesn't <laughs> but it? But I challenge anyone listening, yeah. you know, who hasn't practiced meditation before, mm-hmm. to sit still peacefully for half an hour, even fifteen minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> Five minutes. Okay. Without wanting to pick up a book or turn yeah. on the telly or, or, turn on or the check radio your phone or, or have something. Yeah. yeah, check your phone. Five minutes. And all it takes. And people are are. I suppose there's a myth around meditation that I found when I started first connecting with this. Shut out your thoughts. 
are you nuts? Like, how many thousands of thoughts do we have going on in our mind every day? Yeah. That's just impossible. I can't do that. And Nobody can, actually. No. Yeah. And then um, and then I came, I think it was John Kabat-Zinn, the mindfulness teacher, who said, it's not about touching, uh, shutting out the thoughts. It's about being aware of the thoughts just in that watching moment. Them. Yeah. It made it so much easier. And so being the watcher rather than the thinker. Yeah, the observer. You know, being the, yeah, the, the person observing the thoughts yeah. Yeah. rather than the thinking. Exactly. But in simplicity, it's really about if we can connect with our breath and just the sensation of the breath coming in through our nose, down the back of our throat, into our lungs, feeling it going mm. out again. That in, in one breath, that's all it takes just to focus on that sensation of the breath coming in and out to know that we're alive. We will always be alive as long as we have that breath. And it's the simplest way to come into just being. And you even to focus on one breath is difficult without a thought coming into yeah, your head, you yeah. know. So it's just to be gentle with yourself, to sit, to notice the sensation of the breath. Then notice what thoughts are coming in, what distractions, a car, a sensation in your body, an itch, mm. a thought. But just to notice it and allow it. Yeah. And when you're aware that you're thinking, then just bring in your awareness slowly just back to your breath. And it's a process of like a seesaw, you know, to and fro until you get in. It is a practice. It's like building just your noticing the thoughts rather than eliminating them. Yeah, exactly. Back to They'll go is, yeah. by themselves. It's yeah. like um, it's like the ego. I kind of compare sometimes to a spoiled spoil child who, who just wants your attention all the time and you just go away. You just you really don't want to go there. You really don't like just shut up um, and then you keep knocking until it gets your attention. So notice it. Yeah. All it's looking for is love. That's what that child is looking for love. The ego, the thought is looking to be heard and we're yeah. not used to hearing it. So just hear it. And I think something precious happens in that moment where you do connect with your breath. Yeah. Particularly maybe in our line of work where mm -hmm. we know how precious that breath is. Yeah, sure. Because so many people are denied the yeah. privilege of, of breath when they die. Mm. Um, yeah, there's something about, wow, I, my body's breathing. Mm. I'm alive right now. I don't know for how long. Yeah. What am I going to do with this yeah. one precious life of mine? Yeah, as Mary Oliver said. Exactly. And this one precious breath. Yeah. And it can change in just a moment. It doesn't mm. t you're having a stressful day. I used to do it when I, I started meditating myself when I was in the sales job. And I remember being so stressed one day, I brought, to my, brought myself to my car. I was in tears. I brought myself to my car and I just meditated for five minutes with an app. And it was gone. Yeah, I was ready to go again. <laughs> That's yeah. all it took. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a question of bringing us back to center, to presence, to who we really are in our true nature, which is we're supported by nature, by the earth, by her flow, her harmony, her grace. Um, and it's to find that within ourselves again. So that, I think, would be the starting point for me. It might be for others. It might be going to the gym. It might be going for a walk or connecting with nature. But do it mindfully. Don't do it mindlessly. Feel your feet yeah. on the ground as you're yeah. walking or as you're running. Feel the air on your skin. Smell, see the colors. Yeah. Feel the leaves, the trees. And, w and whatever you're doing, because I know a factor for me was I have four young kids. I'm on my own most of the mm -hmm. time. And I don't have the luxury of being able to sit and you know, I, I did in my 30s or my 20s, I was able to go on this beautiful spiritual journey and climb mountains and walk in the forest and, you know, have regular Reiki sessions. And But things really change then when you're a parent and when you have children. But it's finding the spiritual and the everyday things. Yeah. You know, just slowing down and breathing while I'm washing the dishes. Exactly. Um, be showing up for my kids, expressing the love, like putting away the phone, putting down the laptop, like a spiritual practice, a true one, yeah. is really integrated in everything, right? Exactly. Um, initially sitting down and having that meditative time is great if you're able to do that. And if you're not able to do that, that's okay. There's other ways. Mm -hmm. And it's even just five minutes. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. Or two minutes even just to connect with yourself in the yeah. morning. 
Um, because I think that sets you up then for the day and it brings yeah. you into a space of, right, I'm here, I'm showing up for myself and allowing everything to unfold yeah. in in the way it's going to unfold. Yeah. But we can't, um, I suppose, be expected to practice mindfulness without practicing it with ourselves in the doing. Yes, Do you know that's what I true. Mean? You have yeah. to be in the being. And, and let's face it, you know, if you don't have 10 minutes <laughs> in the day for yourself, you're doing so there's something wrong. Yeah. You know, there's something fundamentally you're too wrong. Busy if you cannot give yourself 10 minutes. One of the things that we were taught in the interfaith course was if you're uh, too busy to meditate, you're given the task of meditating for half an hour. If you're too busy, meditate for an hour. Yes, I remember hearing that. So yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. why are you busy? What are you filling Where your are you throwing with? your energy into? Where's the space? Yeah. Are you allowing yourself space? And why are we busy? We're just running away from ourselves most exactly. of the time. Exactly. Most of the time, you know, I'm, I think I told you earlier, I was at a very heartbreaking funeral of a little girl yesterday. Mm. And, um, you know, I came home and I had supervision in town and I had some other meetings set up. I was going to do a podcast interview. And I just thought, you know what? No, it can all wait. That can all wait. Mm. And I just really needed to sit and just be with, you know, the loss and the grief I felt around this little girl's mm. death. But that it's a conscious decision of not going with the busyness and going with the being sometimes, yeah. you know. I know for me, I could, hands up, I could, 90% of my busyness is by choice. Yeah. Not by have to, Yeah, you know. For me, I've integrated it because I teach meditation and because I've chosen now that I've been hired by God or, you know, <laughs> the universe or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Um, and service. I have to show up. Yeah, service yeah. that I have to show up to that job every day. And, and that for me is, you know, w walking the talk of I've got to do my own practice and yeah. this is part of my routine uh, day. Um, yeah, for other people, it might be different. Um, mm. But it is about the balance between the being and the doing. And we were talking earlier on about the balance between the masculine and the feminine within ourselves. For me, that kind of sums it up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And where can people find you, Tracy? I know you have some meditations online. Yeah. Some I do guided actually. meditations. Yeah. Well, I record the classes and I never know what's going to come through uh, before we start because it's based on what everybody brings to begin yeah. with and it's always different so they're uploaded to insight timer insight timer yeah it's an app and you can find me uh tracy o'connor spelt t-r-e-a-c-y um and the website my website's the same tracyoconnor.com great yeah so inside if they download the app insight yeah and as then in as in seeing viewing insight yeah. i-n-s-i-g-h-t that's it insight timer timer and look for tracy o'connor they'll find some of your yeah. meditations yeah there. yeah they've been pretty popular oh good okay <laughs> so yeah it's, it's great to be able to hold a class for people in the class in dublin to be able to benefit from the meditation then to know that what's come through in that meditation is benefiting thousands of people around the world yeah yeah. It's like, wow, I, I thank the people who come to my class to say thank you for bringing this because I wouldn't be able to hold a class if you weren't here. And, you know, whatever they bring on any particular mm. moment, it's like it's like a collective consciousness of whatever mm. wants to be healed or whatever wants to be heard in the guided meditation. Uh, yeah, it's quite amazing. <laughs> Great, Tracy. Well, look, mm. thank you so much oh. for coming and sharing your journey with us. Thank you. Thanks it's for having me. Thanks for making me cry. Lovely chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been really thanks. lovely and inspiring. Thanks um, so much. And thanks for the work you're doing, Liz. It's yeah. really inspiring as well. And I just really feel that, you know, shapes of grief and absolutely let's talk about it. I think it's something that's so necessary for people to open up and mm. to connect in grief. Yeah, as you say, we don't know what to say anymore, and it's just being, being and, with each other, and for a broader understanding of grief to come in. Because you know, anyone listening to your podcast or to this podcast mm -hmm. might feel, well, where's the where's the death? Where's the bereavement? Where's mm. you know? But grief is an ongoing process throughout our lives. Yeah. Every time we change, every time we lose a relationship, every time we walk away from a job. 
we are going through endless griefs yeah. to become who we are exactly. or in our becoming of ourselves, our constant becoming. Exactly. There is grief all along that road. If we are changing, yeah. if we change, there is grief. We're letting something go. Absolutely. So you've brought a lovely um, different perspective mm. to the notion of grief and loss and what it is. Mm. So thank you and for that. And that's something to be afraid of. Yeah. There's so much. As Joseph Campbell says, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. If your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You are not alone. Join the Shapes of Grief community in our private Facebook group and find more support and useful links on shapesofgrief.com. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleeson, stay well.